pleasure. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you live in Paris now? Uh, it's always near the Adamantia. Um, the the um, what the the Adamantia museum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in the Marais. Yeah, you like there? You like it there? Yeah, I mean that's my first impression of France. It's with the Foucault's pendulum, so uh, you know Alberto Eco novel. <laughs> <laughs> so I went straight to the pendulum and and, and stayed there. Okay, so I'll, I'll turn off my phone and everything that yeah. could actually so make a I. sound. <coughs> uh, no, let me take a picture if it's okay. Sure, sure. I always forget. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Um, okay. okay. What yeah, we uh-huh. when you're ready, mm-hmm. we just need you to say like a few words, and we'll stop you about uh, your journey to come here and uh, what you ate this morning or anything you think uh, like anything you want to say. Oh, we'll just chat. We'll just, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll just chat. It's just uh-huh. for the mic check. Sure, sure. Uh, so, do I put a headphone on or, or no? <laughs> Is no, I, no, no, you don't no, need that. Not this one. Okay. Leave it this way. Okay, like like this, so it doesn't capture anything. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, yeah. Otherwise, if you put it on the table, sometimes the mic... Gets ah, it gets out of... of uh-huh, so, so there's an echo. Um, yeah. Okay, um, so yeah, just to check the microphone, is it okay uh, for me to talk at this distance or should I get closer? Be, no, be as comfortable as you want. As comfortable as I want, yeah. okay. You don't, the, mic, the mic adapts to you, it's not the Okay, okay, um, so, so maybe something like this uh, would be best, okay. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. If, if you're uh-huh. comfortable this way. Yeah, I, I'm fine, I'm fine, so, so let's do it this way. Okay. For you, Simon, or not? Ok. Euh, pour moi, c'est bon ou tu veux qu'on... Ouais Ok. Euh, ça marche Ok. Are you ready yes, yes, I am. I am, totally. Bonjour Audrey Tang. Hello. Vous êtes euh, une activiste taïwanaise qui est spécialisée dans l'utilisation du numérique. On va d'abord dire quelques mots sur vous. Vous pouvez commenter. Vous êtes né en 1981. Vous avez donc 34, 35 mm-hmm. ans. Mais vous vous présentez comme une retraitée. Um, did, you, did you get everything? Do you want me to... I can translate. Maybe, uh, maybe 50%. Okay, I'll let so me translate. I, I mean, so. I have the written word, so... so I'll, I'll yeah, translate. Yeah. So you okay. are an activist uh, uh-huh. from Taiwan, uh-huh. uh, specialized in the use of uh, new, new digital technologies. A uh, few words about you first. You mm-hmm. were born in 1981, so mm-hmm. you're tw- 34, 35, I don't know exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you introduce yourself and say that you are retired. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, so, yes, and uh, I retired about two years ago uh, when I um, moved, so to speak, from the private sector into the civil society. Uh, I did that because I have worked for 20 years on the IT industry on a uh, very entrepreneur-like career. And after doing 20 years of pretty much the same thing, uh, I decided it's probably time to let the young people to, to uh, continue on the market and I'll explore uh, more of the civil society. Donc vous avez travaillé 20 ans, ça veut dire que vous avez commencé à travailler très 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 jeune. You say that you've been working, you've worked for 20 years before retiring, so it means that you started working very very young. 
Well, not that young. I mean, it's like 14 or 13. Uh, it's okay. It's legal. Yeah, usually <laughs> it's legal, but usually people start working at 23, 24. C'est légal, mais normalement, on commence vers 23 ans, 24 ans. Donc, vous avez un, un parcours déjà particulier. It's legal, but it's uh, not typical like to start as early. No comment? <laughs> no, um, I mean, seriously, that was uh, the time when uh, Taiwan first got into the Internet and as well as the rest of the world, it was in 94. So uh, the World Web was just invented. So regardless of my age, I think I will uh, be working on it. It has nothing to do with the age. Actually, people who work on the web, uh, on the World Web Consortium and so on, they, they don't know my age. Actually, we were just peers to peers as collaborators. So uh, at the age of uh, like 13, 14, you dropped school and started working on the internet. Can you like explain to us what happened exactly? Certainly. Um, so um, like the rest of the world, Taiwan got onto the World Web uh, very quickly when it was first invented in 94 by Tim Berners-Lee. And once the World Web was invented, there's a lot of uh, questions on how much uh, we can transfer the knowledge of the human history that so far for the past 2,000 years has been kept on paper uh, to this new medium. And uh, a, a lot more questions arise when people discover that when we put the information on paper into the internet, they grow into something else entirely because then it becomes like gravity that pulls people together and form community. And this kind of community we have never seen before uh, on any uh, scope whatsoever. And so for me, this community that's encompassed all the researchers all over the world of maybe 60 different countries and 70 different languages is much more interesting than a school or even a university. So for me, the choice is very, very easy to make. Donc, vous avez arrêté l'école à 12-13 ans pour apprendre sur le web, sur Internet. So, you stopped school at 12-13 to uh, learn from the Internet, from the web, on the web, on the Internet. Well, that is because uh, a lot of people publish their preprints, that is to say, before they send their papers to the journal, they first upload it to the web. And that was what everybody was doing because the web was so new and people were very excited in trying it out. And so I discovered that whatever I learned in the school or even in the university are 10 years out of date because they would take 10 years for those preprint journals and so on to make in the way into the curriculum and into new university. So in a sense, uh, I feel like I'm living 10 years in the future just by collaborating with the researchers over the internet. And what were you interested in? Et qu'est-ce qui vous intéressait à l'époque? Right. Uh, so as a child, I was mostly interested in poetry and in music, which is very closely related. Uh, and then because uh, Chinese and Taiwanese holok are both tonal languages in the sense that we speak the way like people sing. Uh, and there is a mathematics in these tonal languages that is also mathematical. Uh, so I, I composed poetry and music very early on and always saw a uh, computer uh, as young as maybe I was eight as assistants, as like my canvas uh, to, to make those music with or make those poetries with. So when I got onto the internet, the first interested fields I have was on computational linguistics, that is to say getting computer to understand human speech, and also on programming language, which is the other way around, get people to understand how the computer was being programmed. So it's like, like this bridge that is two-way between machine and human. 
so you specialized in uh, programming, so in in knowing how computer, how to talk to computers, how to pro, how to, to to make computers do things. Donc vous vous êtes spécialisé dans la, la programmation, apprendre comment euh, demander à une machine de faire telle ou telle chose. That, that is one part, but the other part is get computers to understand human speech, like the way we're talking now, uh, getting uh, the artificial intelligence to, to try to understand it and to learn not just the words themselves, but why we're talking about this, the prosody, the context, the entire culture. And that is, I think, the, the more interesting part, but you cannot do one without the other. Qu'est-ce que vous avez fait dans ces domaines alors? And what did you do in these fields? Um, very early on, I collaborated uh, with uh, one of the authors I like very much, uh, Hofstadter, uh, who wrote this book called Grudel Escherbach, uh, and uh, is a very prominent AI researcher and also translator. Um, so I think it was 97 or 98 that I got in touch uh, with Hofstadter, and much to my surprise, he actually speaks Chinese. Uh, and you as... speak German, et vous parlez allemand, vous. Yes, so, so it's easier. For me to to communicate, and, and he was uh, teaching computers to understand human writing at that point, and also working on the uh, issue of translation. Uh, so uh, I translated one of the poems that that his wife translated, and we had some correspondence about uh, how to do machine translation and things like that. Uh, we didn't actually publish a paper, but uh, actually this experience of uh, you know just writing an email to one of the leading researchers in the uh, artificial intelligence field and he is as enthusiastic as I am, and, and we speak each other's language and so on, it creates a, a different culture uh, in, like compared to the university culture. I read uh, in many places that you launched several uh, startups, uh, that the first you created, you were still a teenager. Can you give me more information about that? Certainly. In, in French first, sorry. J'ai lu à plusieurs endroits que vous aviez lancé plusieurs uh, startups uh, pendant votre activité professionnelle, avant votre retraite, uh, et la première alors que vous étiez encore un, un adolescent. Um, the first startup that I, I involved in uh, was this, uh, it was a publishing house called the Inforist uh, or Informationist uh, Publishing House. And I was commissioned as one of the uh, young authors to write this book called Roads to Cyberspace that explains uh, each of us a trajectory, how we get to learn the web. And it became a um, pretty uh, interesting publishing house and we had a lot of collaborations, but I was just an author at that time. Uh, but then the publishing house thought maybe it's time to get into the internet business as well since we are now a recognized brand in uh, teaching people how to make use of the internet. And so uh, I worked on a full text search engine, much like Google, uh, but it uh, indexes uh, everything. And you, you have to remember this is around the same time as Alta Vista and before all the other search engines. So that was one of the, the first um, like Chinese full text search engines. And also we did later on uh, online auction like eBay and uh, other kind of e-commerce and also uh, social media and so on. And all those were in 95 or 96. 
Vous êtes également connu pour avoir coordonné un projet qui s'appelle Pugs. Alors, je ne sais pas si vous pouvez expliquer au, au, au grand public ce qui ce qu signifie. C'est un projet qui est lié à un langage informatique, mais peut-être que vous allez y arriver. You are also famous for coordinating a project called Pugs. Uh, I don't know if you were able to explain to a large audience that's not very uh, aware of how it works and the programming, uh, what it is exactly, but uh, I'm sure you can try at least. It's actually easy to explain. Um, so uh, I work on Pugs, which is uh, the new implementation, a redo of the Perl language. And the Perl language uh, is one of the first, if not the first, uh, what we call scripting language, which is the language that people use to build websites. And so <clears throat> a scripting language is a programming language that's like an instrument. So think of how people build, for example, a cathedral or a very large building. Usually professional architects use very professional tools, and it's very difficult for them to translate their architectural vision for people uh, who have not seen anything like that yet, right? But scripting language is that people could just use their everyday tools. This is like uh, making furniture, using just your wood or, or a, you know, uh, workshop that is just very everyday items. And this is actually where the word hacker came from. It means that people who could hack woods and make their own furniture and make their own house. So you don't have to be a trained professional architect anymore with Perl and with other scripting languages. You can just use your everyday tools and work with an existing system, adding just one bit at a time, but it still grows into something like a cathedral. And so this enables us to build very large systems without any of the person having a, a vision or being a professional designer or something like that. So it is a democratization uh, of computer programming to the people. One of the descendants of Perl uh, is Python and then Ruby and then JavaScript. And now all those languages are being used by amateurs all over the world, not professional trained programmers, to make the World Web today. While you're talking, you're, you're also, you have a screen in front of you, a, a tablet, and you're also writing, or I don't know what you're doing, I can't see your screen. What are you doing exactly? Pendant que vous êtes en train de parler, vous avez une tablette devant vous et un crayon, vous êtes en train d'écrire ou de dessiner des choses. Qu'est-ce que, que vous faites? Je ne vois pas du tout l'écran. Um, I am actually making calligraphy. Oh. Um, so you're showing me your screen, vous montrez votre écran où on voit donc euh, des caractères. Je n'arrive pas à lire, je ne sais pas si c'est des caractères euh, latins ou euh, chinois, c'est entre les deux et des flèches. I can't read if it's Latin uh, characters or Chinese and uh, you have also uh, flesh uh, directions. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always worked with uh, pencil and paper. Uh, actually, before I got a computer, that's how I used to program. And then uh, I, I got a computer, but still I always preferred uh, stylus or pen-based computing. So all the way from the original uh, Palm Pilot and then Zorus and then, you know, all the iterations of pen-based computing. And I prefer it this way because if you only have a keyboard, uh, when you type something and then you go to sleep and then you wake up, you don't actually remember the emotions that you had when you type down those words because it loses all the nonverbal information. But when I take notes or make my design work in calligraphy, uh, I actually capture the exact feelings that I have while I was listening to your question and so on. And this helps to bring this more human dimension uh, into both of my answers and also the designs that I do. 
so you're taking notes while you're and you're taking them in your handwriting and you're saving them uh, and and what was written on the screen you showed me I told you I can't know if it's uh, Latin or Chinese characters donc vous vous prenez des notes en fait à calligraphier donc avec euh, votre propre écriture sur votre ordinateur vous les enregistrez donc là vous faites oui de, de la tête mais qu'est-ce que vous avez écrit par exemple sur le, le, le dessin ou les notes que vous m'avez montré je n'arrivais pas à lire si c'était du latin ou des caractères chinois um, actually at some level uh, in calligraphy because uh, Taiwan's culture incorporates 2000 years of calligraphy on paper the oldest calligraphy culture um, many of the calligraphic movements uh, stopped uh, being a script they become what everybody recognizes nowadays as emoji That is to say, they are representing exactly of the emotional content uh, of, of whatever uh, writing that we're writing. So uh, in the screen that I just showed you, there the word pearl uh, is in Latin script. But everything else is like a mixture of emoji and directions and things like that. Okay. Um... Vous vous présentez, ça c'est quelque chose qu'on vous demande beaucoup de, de commenter, comme un anarchiste, comme une anarchiste conservatrice. Euh, ce sont deux notions qui peuvent paraître opposées. Qu'est-ce que ça veut dire uh, you, yeah, you introduce yourself usually as a, an anarchist conservative. Uh, many people ask you to, to comment because these two words seem opposed. Uh, what does this mean Okay, so uh, when people think about anarchy, uh, usually people think of a utopia, that is to say something that has not yet arrived, right? Uh, but if you uh, think about the idea of the utopia, what it really means is that it's not in a specific place. Uh, u meaning not, topos meaning space or space, right? And this is exactly... Nowhere. Nowhere. Uh, but this is exactly what Internet is. Internet does not live in a computer. It does not live in a machine. Internet lives in the communication between the machines that each party agrees and everybody can revise or improve on the protocol so it agrees more or it agrees less. But as long as there is some rough consensus, the Internet will always function without any central controlling body. And this is the definition of anarchy. I mean, this is like the original definition of anarchy when the philosophers first uh, defined this word. So the Internet, when it was conceived uh, earlier on, it has this anarchic nature that was then put into uh, its governance structure in the Internet society uh, in the 80s and in the 90s. And so when I say conservative, I mean it uh, as that we have a tradition. The tradition works really well, and uh, it has to adapt with time, of course, but we do it very carefully and without sacrificing this tradition of anarchy. So I have something that I want to conserve. So this is what I mean. Because uh, in your opinion, the anarchy or the utopia of the Internet is endangered parce que, à, à vos yeux, l'utopie ou l'anarchie de, de l'Internet est en danger I wouldn't say it is <coughs> endangered um, because obviously it's now part of everyday life uh, and the human civilization will probably uh, survive but only with a lot of difficulty when we take internet away from everybody. So it's not endangered in, in the endangered species sense, right? But the way that the internet was governed, uh, the governance model, the anarchist model, that uh, 
is in what we say competition or in collaboration with a lot of different ways that people govern their lives. For example, we have the, for example, the uh, multilateral approach where people think a sovereign state uh, represents everything and everybody that lives in the land, right? Uh, but we have also the multi-stakeholder approach who says all the species, not just human, who is threatened by two more Celsius degrees of global warming is actually connected together regardless of which country they are in. So we have many, many different ways uh, for people to govern their lives and they're sometimes collaborating, sometimes competing. And so I wouldn't say it's endangered by the anarchy model. It's one of the many, many models that people use to govern their lives. And in that sense, it's worth conserving for, but I wouldn't say that it should be uh, dominating through every other model. Okay. <coughs> Uh, for the last uh, few months, at least, uh, you've been uh, multiplying uh, interviews, conferences, um, in order mainly to speak about Taiwan and to speak about the democracy of uh, Taiwan. Uh, can you uh, summarize what's happened there uh, since the last two years? Uh, let me ask it in French, sorry. Depuis quelques mois, au moins depuis quelques mois, vous multipliez les entretiens, les conférences, notamment pour parler de, de l'évolution de la démocratie à Taïwan. Est-ce que vous pouvez nous, nous rappeler, de votre point de vue, ce qui s'est passé depuis à peu près deux ans à Taïwan what I always talk about the Gov Zero movement, which is written G0V.TW, is a civic hacking initiative started late 2012. And the idea is that because all of the Taiwan government website <coughs> ends with GOV.TW, you just change the O to a zero on your browser and you get into this shadow administration or shadow government that shows the same data, uh, but in a much more machine-readable, human-friendly, interactive visualization kind of way. So it's like an umbrella, a large camp that unifies all the civic hacking uh, initiatives that was happening there in Taiwan. And in 2014, um, there is a Occupy that happened in Taiwan that went on for 20 years. Wow. Can I redo this? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, in 2014, uh, there is a occupied parliament in Taiwan called the Sunflower Movement. And the movement was uh, raised by students um, thinking that it is not constitutionally sound for Taiwan to consider Beijing a domestic city of Taiwan due to a constitutional loophole that allows it to circumvent the legislature overview when we sign anything with Beijing. And the uh, Occupy went on for 20 days. And the 20 days were very special in the history of Occupy because our Occupy was with a aim of demonstration. The occupied parliament was used not just for protesting, but for students to demonstrate to the legislators how we deliberate using deliberative democracy technologies and uh, for trade agreements like this. So this is a way of setting a higher standard so that the legislator can learn how to do things in a way that affects everybody and have everybody understanding what's at stake. And GovZero was uh, instrumental 
in setting up the national-wide and international broadcasting translation logistics of this Occupy so that it reached uh, easily um, may maybe more than half the population in Taiwan and indeed half a million people went to the street uh, supporting the cause. And after this, uh, the entire political landscape just changed. Uh, we now are, many analysts say we're now in a post-party politics in Taiwan. So, for example, the uh, mayor of the capital, Ke Wenzhe, uh, was a surgeon and not a politician, but he was elected on record high numbers and he's not part of any party. Our he was elected the end of uh, 2014. Yes. And then fin, the, il a été élu fin 2014. Yes. And the year after, uh, we see our vice prime minister promoted now to the prime minister, Simon Zhang, who was a Google engineer and also not belonging to any party. And even the new uh, president-elect, Tsai Ing-wen, uh, she appointed her vice president and her prime minister, uh, Chen Jianren and Lin Quan, and they are both independent and not belonging to any party. So it's like um, all the top actually working officials are now free of their party constraints. And this is why our current prime minister, Simon, can transfer to the next prime minister, also an independent Lin Quan, saying the transfer is not from one party to another party. The transfer has to happen before a live stream camera, before the transcription. We open all the data of the transfer of administrative power so that the entire citizen has the same copy as the elected uh, presenting elect team is receiving it so that we can uh, do a bilateral or multilateral uh, kind of uh, thing, but within the country and for the civic society to act as the oversight that is in addition to the parliament. So what you're explaining is that uh, like there are the parties are not the main structure of politics now in Taiwan and that the the movement you participated in the GovZero movement showed that you, we can be transparent and we can show everything and and involve everyone in in politics and that's what's really happening in your country. Ce que vous expliquez c'est que euh, le, les partis plus de, ne sont plus au centre de la vie politique à Taïwan, que la transparence que, à laquelle vous avez participé avec le mouvement GovZero euh, fonctionne réellement et que les gens sont impliqués et que c'est ça qui est au cœur de la vie politique à Taïwan aujourd'hui Yes, that's exactly the case. And it also changed our uh, international uh, landscape as well. Because Taiwan, as you probably know, is not recognized as a United Nations nation. Uh, so Taiwan is a place and it's like a civil society of 23 million people. But there is some advantage in this point of view also, because then we can use uh, the civic technologies or civic communities from all over the world and build solidarity, not as a sovereign nation, but as a you know, post-nation way uh, with all the civic hackers around the world. And this is what GovZero has always been doing in that uh, every two years, like this May, uh, we invite um, civic hackers from now 17 countries uh, to share their agenda. So we have the France Vox, we have the uh, Spanish uh, Podemos, and then we have, you know, all, all the other usual suspects uh, joining us in, in Taipei and share our agenda for the next two years and see this as a uh, very grassroots-like solidarity that is uh, transcending the uh, original sovereign nation uh, diplomatic status. 
in the criticism against uh, or for about uh, civic tech or about involving the people, etc., is uh, the, the lack of involvement of the people. Like you, you will have uh, after a while a few people specialized in using the tools involving the people, etc., etc. How uh, can you do to in order to fight this? Do you need anything? Yeah. Dans, dans, dans la critique habituelle de, de, du mouvement de la civic tech, comme on dit, euh, ou, euh, ou de, de la transparence ou du gouvernement ouvert, il y a le fait qu'on a du mal à impliquer la population, c'est-à-dire qu'à un certain moment, il n'y a plus vraiment de population impliquée, mais une petite frange qui se spécialise dans la participation, etc. Comment vous pouvez lutter contre ça ou comment vous gérez ce phénomène Um, this question can be answered from two sides. One is that people find the real world, for example, their family, their everyday life, taking a stroll on the street, going to a, a grocery store, uh, chatting with their neighbors, more interesting than participating in politics. The other way is that people who already have those um, phones and devices find checking on Facebook or posting cat pictures on Instagram or something more interesting than participating in politics. So it has to be answered from two very different uh, angles and cultures. Um, for the first one, uh, I think this is largely because we uh, in the digital culture has not replicated everything that the analog or the uh, paper culture has to offer. As I show you, I can do some calligraphy on this, and this is the state of the art, right? This is just this year. Um, before this, we cannot even capture the calligraphic intention of the person writing something. So it's natural that people would find the, the paper culture more attractive or more interesting and, and things like that. But with a combination of uh, artificial intelligence, understanding of human intention and emotion, and the virtual reality um, technology, where we can replicate the experience of going into, for example, I was just in Disneyland, actually, last weekend, uh, and there is this ratatouille, a uh, uh, virtual reality experience, where people were cast in the viewing angle of a mouse or of a rat, and the rat was uh, chased our way around the kitchen and so on. So this is like uh, the other spaces that Disneyland offers, but we actually did not move. Um, it's in, all in the same space and simulated with virtual reality. And so this is basically saying software is now almost as good as hardware in creating a, a fantasy land or a, a dreamland that people can then sit down and look at maybe an airport that's going to be constructed or a land that is going to be redeveloped and then deliberate on this matter. So this is actually easy because technology is almost there. The other way around is much harder, though, uh, about the digital natives finds it much more interesting to look into the mirror of themselves, to use the selfie sticks or, or so on, instead of sharing their uh, ideas or emotions with other people. And for, for the digital natives, I think in Taiwan, we have less of this problem because the same generation who voted for presidential voting the first time when it happened in 96 
are the same generation who participated in creation of the World Web and digital technology. So for us, as a new democratic um, election uh, experimental lab, uh, it is actually the same generation of people participating in both innovations. So for us, 20 years of representative democracy, 20 years of direct democracy or even anarchy are very comparable and we can mix and match. And that is the main attraction for the civic hackers. But uh, in Europe, of course, Estonia has even better uh, attraction because it was founded after the internet. So everybody, even the elderly, uh, are okay with that because it was founded on that premise. But uh, of course, in France, with uh, like geographic layers of five republics and many hundreds of years of representative democracy, this would pose a unique challenge. And this is what I've been talking all around uh, with the officials and the legislators and professors, and we have some ideas, but I don't think that we have a complete solution yet. And what are the ideas? And qu'est-ce que c'est les, les idées, alors? Um, one thing is that if we can make a policy discussion and policy debate more interesting than watching television, than checking in on Facebook, than taking selfie sticks, Um, then it's uh, possible to engage young people who are raised as digital natives. So one of the ways that we think about it is there is a show that uh, I helped producing in Taiwan called Talk to Taiwan. And in the show, it's captured in virtual reality. We ask, uh, for example, the independent mayor, who started out as a heart surgeon. He is a, the top-class surgeon. And he cares a lot about the Medicare system. So learning something from the French TV system, uh, we have a top journalist interviewing him uh, about the Medicare system and what he think about it. But the difference is that the agenda is not written by the media. The agenda is crowdsourced with an online system called Polis, where everybody can Uh, offer their opinions, their reflections, their <clears throat> experience with the Medicare system, and it got synthesized with this artificial intelligence moderator into concrete questions that then the journalists ask the, the mayor or the surgeon about. And then while we were do doing this uh, for uh, half an hour, everybody watching it through a headset or cardboard or just from YouTube can type in or ask their questions. And then those follow-up questions are then synthesized again in real time so that they have to look at those uh, monitor that's just next to them and then answer it uh, on a point-by-point -point basis. So it becomes a real debate of one person versus a crowd, but that still works very well and you can relive the experience at any time using a virtual reality headset. And what we have found is that in this kind of recording environment, since people are not talking to the camera, since they know they're all body language, how they react to the environment, even whether the audience actually smile at their jokes are recorded, uh, they've turned their attention into actually forming bonds and conversation with the entire room and not becoming like demagogues or ideologues who speak just with the camera. They really change the nature, the tone of political discourse. And I think only with the tone being changed first by the politicians can people could start to see that it's worth engaging in a dialogue. Otherwise, these are just boring people who you would not have want to have coffee or a dialogue with. 
and and what's the point of having then a journalist asking the questions? Why don't you do uh, text to speech and have a robot asking the question? What's the point of having someone that's not a journalist if he doesn't prepare or doesn't ask the question he prepared? Et qu'est-ce que c'est l'idée? Pourquoi avoir un, un journaliste qui pose les questions dans, dans ce cas-là? Pourquoi ne pas avoir une machine qui poserait les questions puisque le, le, le journaliste ne prépare pas les questions, il est juste le porte-parole? So, uh, today's journalists do many, many jobs, right? Um, collecting data, analyzing data, setting the agenda, uh, doing the distribution, even have to learn some coding uh, on the website and learning to use services like SoundCloud and YouTube and so on. But I think all those things are just because um, we, we are not yet in a society in Taiwan, I mean, giving the journalist uh, a very core uh, competence in their uh, work, in their passion. Because all these are just necessities without which the journalistic function cannot perform in the digital world. But assuming all these are taken care of, as in the GovZero model, it's taken care of by experts in all these industries, then what's left for the journalist is the point of view. Uh, and we al always say the point of view is worth maybe 20 intelligence points or something, uh, in that uh, it's possible for the journalist as a professional narrator, as a professional storyteller, to uh, reorganize or to redefine all those crowdsourced questions into this very coherent point of view and try to uh, fuse this view with the view that uh, the uh, architect or the mayor or the uh, urban planner has. And then when the journalist uh, reacts non-verbally to the person doing the speech, we could see that the understanding dawns between them. It's very magical. And when that happens, the entire audience and the people in virtual reality also participate in the same understanding. And a text-to-speech engine is not yet at that level. I think it would take maybe another 10 years. When uh, science fiction explores the interaction of uh, virtual reality, technology, democracy, etc., uh, many times it's uh, like the, the portrait of, uh, of, uh, of what they represent is a mix of uh, uh, hell and paradise, and sometimes it looks like paradise and is hell and, uh, and vice versa, um, and where you... Uh, don't want uh, populism or demagogy. Uh, you can have a lot in the through the same means. Um, what makes you confident of uh, like in the fact that the evolution is not towards uh, a mix of like hard hell and hard paradise? What what makes you confident in the fact that using virtual reality can really lead the people to uh, uh, a true democracy, a true involvement of everyone and not the uh, use of uh, the power by a few, etc., etc. Quand la, la science-fiction décrit euh, l'utilisation des technologies et de la réalité virtuelle euh, en politique ou pour la démocratie, on a souvent un résultat qui est euh, à la fois une sorte de paradis mais aussi une sorte d'enfer. Qu'est-ce qui vous rend euh, confiant dans, dans le fait que ça va évoluer vers quelque chose de positif euh, voilà, en utilisant la réalité virtuelle et les technologies dans un cadre politique Um, the science fiction reflects the day uh, in which the science fiction was written. Uh, 
So the tone of、uh, Clark or Asimov is actually very different from, for example, the Culture series. And the Culture series are, of course, very different from the Dune. And all these are very different from the Three Body. So、um, when you say science fiction, for me, they actually reflect the life and the civilization that the author has been raised in. And so they they offer different perspectives for me for that civilization. For example.、Um, Da Liu Liu Cixin, who wrote the Three Body Problem series, which is、uh, generally considered the, the masterpiece of Chinese、uh, science fiction, reflects a lot on the civilization between the Cultural Revolution and then the current days、uh, mainland China. And、uh, one of the core premises of the Three Body Problem was that the Cultural Revolution so thoroughly alienates people from other people, so that people think even an alien. Is more familiar, or even more sympathetic than their fellow citizens. So it's that bad, right? So that that was the underlying premise.、Um, so、um, my answer to your question is that today we're not、uh, actually living in a world where、uh, people would voluntarily、uh, alienate their neighbors just for some. Very minor、uh, ideological gain. I mean, there are people who are very strict ideologues or something, but it's not Mao Zedong level.、Uh, you you will have to agree. <laughs> Otherwise, we will not even have to、uh, have this conversation at the moment.、Um, so so today we we live in a world that is relatively safe. For people to innovate, and because of this relative safety, we see, for example, Google DeepMind.、Uh, they just produce artificial intelligence that could play the board game Go very creatively and and even beautifully. And what it inspired is that the、uh, Go player Lisido was implied also to play one of the most beautiful moves in his life、uh, in order to win the game、uh, against the machine. And the move was done by not. Asking anything, not trading anything, not exchanging anything, transcends win and loss, and the machine completely crashed because he he could not,、uh, it could not pre-、uh, predict that a human will play a move like this, which is sheer beauty. So, and because they feel safe enough, they they could do this in public. They could publish in the journal Nature, and now you see the AI being recoded from scratch from that paper on GitHub. And with a lot of people already developing this technology, independent of DeepMind, and Facebook and other、uh, companies are also participating in this open source culture, in which that every small innovation is then joined into this larger body of science and technology and creation. And this is what gives me hope, because in a more authoritarian regime, of course, those people who come up with those innovation will hoard it to themselves, keep it to themselves, and not share. And the fact that we see everybody、uh, developing virtual reality, like the、um, Mozilla VR or the Open VR efforts or the Open AI effort, and so on, are doing in such a transparent and open way,、uh, means that people are feeling safe enough to the rest of the society to join in this participation. <coughs> I don't know if there is a relationship between what I'm going to say and what you said, but. At the same time, you have like big democracies developing、uh, killing robots. 
so, what's the relationship between these things? Et au même moment, je ne sais pas s'il y a un rapport avec ce que vous venez de dire, on a de grandes démocraties qui sont en train de développer des robots tueurs, c'est-à-dire des, des appareils qui font de la reconnaissance faciale et qui tuent sans euh, l'ordre le, le, direct d'un être humain. Qu'est-ce que ça a comme rapport avec ce que vous décrivez, ça And, I mean, if you compare the drones, uh, as you said, that was doing the strike, and for example, the kamikaze pilots, which are also trained in very much similar way, uh, almost robot-like, uh, with ideologies, there are not many differences when you see them from the outside of the plane, right? It's very hard to, to tell uh, which one is human-driven and which one was remote-controlled or, or even um, self-controlled. So so I, I don't think the warfare in itself has been changed that drastically with uh, modern technology. Uh, all it did is that the pilot who piloted the drone now survives and have uh, post-trauma uh, psychological disorder. <laughs> Uh, right, but it does not actually change uh, the, the missions or the warfare or something. So, so I don't think it's actually related. I'm happy to have that conversation, but I don't think it's the same thing. <laughs> okay, um, okay. Uh, we're going to have to to conclude the, this uh, interview. Uh, what are your expectations, or what are uh, no? No, before before that, uh, you've you've you come very frequently to, to France. Uh, you've also been invited by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs for the Night of Ideas, etc. Uh, do you have a close look at uh, the evolution of this country in terms of politics? We've had many laws recently that are attacking <laughs> freedom, or or f at least for specialists that are a very big threat on freedom of communication, on of freedom of the internet, etc. Uh, what is Your point of view on this. Euh, vous venez régulièrement en France, vous avez même été l'invité du ministère des Affaires étrangères alors, lors de la nuit des idées. Euh, Est-ce que vous regardez la, la vie politique législative française Il y a eu plusieurs lois ces derniers temps qui ont été jugées liberticides et particulièrement pour les nouvelles technologies, pour l'Internet. Qu'est-ce que c'est votre regard sur ça well, it's, uh, too early for me to say anything definitive. But the feeling that I get uh, from the French society is that um, what, what you have here is an extremely uh, well-trained machine that is the Republic. And um, people generally see that when they report their local problems or their concerns, that concerns a specific place to a local association or a local Um, representative, it generally gets fixed. And, and it's a very well-oiled machine, as we say, uh, of governance and, and so on. But the flip side of it is, of course, then people kind of lack the, the uh, surprise or the curiosity or the discovery of saying, oh, the government is uh, too inefficient. How about we do it all ourselves? The early revolutionary, our reforming uh, spirit. And um, I, I think there is a place for a very well-oiled machine that builds efficiency. But there is also a place for a new, uh, I wouldn't even say machine, a system to build consensus. And because in the East Asian culture, we always emphasize consensus, saying that it's no good actually leaving almost half of the people behind when you do a decision. You can leave maybe 5% of people behind is too much. We, we have to get everybody to agree. And this is what uh, 
Taiwan got,、uh, I think, even more from Japanese culture than from the Chinese culture.、Um, so coming from that culture,、uh, I, I find it very interesting that、um, some French people would、uh, stick to the ideologies because they know that this is fifty-five percent of the population, and they're they're happy with that,、uh, and not actually trying to convince the the rest of the forty-five、uh, percent of people and make concessions and so on. And what、uh, my Experience as a facilitator of the Uber debate is that、uh, the traditional party politics work very well for domestic issues, but for、um, like transnational issue, global issues like Uber,、um, <clears throat> even convincing fifty five percent of the entire population is not enough because they operate in a very different dimension that could. At any time, amplify maybe just five percent of the population into dominating the entire agenda of political discussion, and we are faced、uh, with such uh, trans uh, country or transnational powers. I think it is really necessary for the entire population to say, "Well, if all the drivers agree on the things on Uber, there is a real chance that Uber would not be able to recruit drivers anymore." But if people are satisfied in the old partisan or you know divisive kind of rhetoric, then there's always a minority, but very large minority, that could be used、uh, as leverage by such transnational post-democratic powers. So this is my my very preliminary analysis. And what about China?、Um, for a long time, we thought that. Uh, economic growth would lead to real democracy. At the same time, we thought that、um, technological development,、uh, development of the internet, would、uh, lead to greater democracy. At the same,、uh, as well, and、uh, in China, of course. Things are improving in a sense, but at the same time, the central party is still very, very powerful. And we—I don't know if you see signs of evolution or, or real evolution. Maybe I don't know. I don't know the, the question well enough. But、uh, what's your vision on China? Et qu'est-ce que c'est votre vision de, de la Chine? Pendant longtemps, on a pensé que la, la, le, le, le développement économique était une source de, de développement démocratique.、Euh, on a également pensé en parallèle que le développement technologique, notamment l'arrivée de l'internet, était aussi un développement démocratique. Alors qu'en Chine, même s'il y a des changements, des évolutions, on voit pas de, de, de développement démocratique très très fort. Le, 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 le parti est encore au, au centre du pouvoir. Le parti communiste est encore au centre du pouvoir malgré le développement économique et le développement technologique. Qu'est-ce que c'est votre regard? Well, I mean, everything is relative. If you look at the Cultural Revolution, in which、uh, people's mutual trust and solidarity is probably at the lowest point in human history,、um, just comparable with the World Wars and nothing else,、um, then of course everything is improving. But、uh, what I what I th- think、uh, in this century,、uh, China really has to to face the eventual、uh, disappearance of labor. Because、uh, they already are,、uh, all the you know routine labor work is、uh, already robots, and we will see very quickly, just in a matter of one or two years, that even non-routine creative manual work are also、uh, being replaced by robots, and after that, cognitive work as well. And when、uh, China stops being this,、uh, you know.、Um, 
manufacturing of the world, so to speak, when the entire workforce become place independent, when the entire uh, industry uh, moves from a place-based logistics line to a space-based logistic line, then the entire uh, reason of existence of the Chinese um, control structure of their regime will have to be thought, rethought again, because the existing uh, industry and the economy that supports this kind of regime no longer work. And I am very uh, foreign <laughs> to the China administration. I don't actually follow their latest thinking. I, I see what they say in the press release, but I don't uh, hear what they uh, say in their internal meetings. So I would not make predictions. But this is something that China, more than any other uh, place in the world, have to face um, this issue. Uh, just to conclude, uh, what are your expectations for the, the, the near or the, the further or the, the less near uh, future? Uh, you've mentioned now the, the disappearing of labor. Uh, so in the picture you're drawing is like uh, us in a virtual reality with no work, deciding together what we'll do. But uh, uh, there are like the, the world you're describing is so different from what we've grown in and uh, so different from our values that it's very difficult to, 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 to imagine how good it can be. Um, what are your expectations, your clues about the, the, the future? Uh, pour conclure, um, qu'est-ce que c'est vos, vos attentes? Vous venez de, de parler de la disparition du, du travail salarié pour la Chine, mais c'est quelque chose qui se développe dans le monde entier. Et finalement, l'image que vous donnez de, de, de citoyens qui décident communément à travers la réalité virtuelle du, du monde futur, alors qu'ils n'ont plus de travail, que le travail n'existe plus, c'est tellement loin des valeurs actuelles et des valeurs dans lesquelles on a grandi, qu'on a du mal à se figurer ça de manière positive. Qu'est-ce que c'est, vous que, Comment vous voyez ce futur I don't actually think it's that different. I mean, the, the French values are still intact. We still uh, experiment or experience the real world with our bodies, and we make feelings, imagination, we make into art, share them freely. This is the, the liberty, right? And then in open source or in free software, in open culture, we also have the, the, the equality principle of whatever people contribute must be accessible to every other citizens, and we build solidarity in this way. And then and the solidarity, as I just described, also applies to the, you know, general discreteness or the mutual respect of online spaces, which will only grow when we stop being just text on the Internet, but also our avatar or our nonverbal information comes into picture. So I think it will be much more uh, solidarity oriented. What I'm saying is that the, the core French values are not touched. By, by this evolution of technology. What is being touched is just the configuration. It may return us back to the origin of democracy, you know, in the uh, Ionic or the Greek, uh, you know, islands and city-states and the police where they have all the slaves do all the work. And then uh, the, the, the slave owners, uh, now humans, um, do, doing all the creation and philosophy and whatever. And it is a golden era for the human civilization. And Not, I mean that the, the slaves of the future will be the robots, of course. Not no, will be, it's already. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Vous voulez dire par là que, que les esclaves du passé, ce seraient les, les robots aujourd'hui. Yeah. yeah, so that's my conclusion, yes. 
Merci. J'ai oublié de préciser une chose, c'est que quand on a parlé de, de politique et de technologie, vous avez sorti de votre sac des lunettes de, de réalité virtuelle, des Oculus Rift, je crois. Euh, pourquoi avoir sorti cet objet Il est posé là devant mes yeux sur la table. Uh, I, thank you very much. I just forgot to, to make the precision. When, when we mentioned the, the politics and the technology, you uh, got from your bag you you got the, the vr uh oculus rift on the table and you put them on the table why, why did you do this i actually gave a interview with a journalist and she was in virtual reality interviewing me for 20 minutes so she's asking a question in international space station and then the next question was asked from uranus And the next question was asked from Neptune and, and so on. And it, it changed uh, the quality of conversation so much because the, the overview effect means that uh, the idea of nations, of borders, dis disappeared in her mind. But she uh, said that I always look back at us. Uh, n nevertheless, which uh, planet I am on when we're conducting this interview, she always looked back to the us. And I said, yes, because it is the cradle of civilization. This is where we grew up in. But humanity cannot live always in this cradle. You mean that there are journalists conducting real interviews in virtual reality and from and moving from one planet to the other? You can try. It. Vous voulez dire par là que qu'il y a des journalistes qui qui font des interviews en réalité virtuelle en allant d'une planète à l'autre vraiment? Uh, yes, I mean exactly that. And because it is a radio interview, if you are interested, you can try it. It just takes five seconds. Okay. Ah, so you give me. Vous me passez les les lunettes. Ah, ce sont des lunettes où on, on, on met le téléphone dessus. OK. Mm -hmm. Donc, vous clippez le téléphone This sur les lunettes. Where you can adjust the focus. OK. okay. C'est la première fois que je mets un masque de, de réalité virtuelle. So voilà. The, the lens is here. OK, the focus. Uh So look up, look down, look all around. Ah ouais, donc là j'en fait j'ai tout le ciel. Ah, c'est beau, hein? Mais en fait, je pensais que je vous verrais. I thought I would see you. <laughs> yes. I don't see you. There is a mode where, where you will see me through the pass-through camera. But you are actually seeing me because I'm on Earth and you're looking at the Earth. I'm just so small <laughs> that you cannot see me. <laughs> But this is the solar system in its current configuration with GPS. So we are actually here. Uh, it's, it's not very convenient because I don't know where the microphone is since I don't see. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's right in front of you. It's okay, okay, I'm yeah. kind of blind now. <laughs> je suis presque aveugle en fait. Je vois plus, je vois que les étoiles autour de moi. Et donc il y a une personne avec qui. There is someone did an interview with you and you gave her the glasses while yes. she was interviewing you. Okay. Exactly. Oh, that's nice. Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. It's really nice. Yeah, you can go to other planet just by tapping on it. So if you look at the Earth, for example, look into yeah, yeah. the Earth. Yeah. And then you tap very quickly. Okay. And then you wait. Just don't, don't tap again. Okay. Just wait. You, you will be, see it coming closer to you. Yeah, yeah, I see And it then now. if you look into a city, you will see the name of the city. If I just look at it. Yeah, yeah. And then you can also rotate the Earth. 
Okay. And then when you rotate your head along with the the, <coughs> face, the, the entire Earth, and you can also go to the Moon or some other places as well. Yeah, and now you're in telescope mode, so you can go to the Sun or other planets. Yes. Okay, that's yeah, really it. nice. It is. It is. Wow, these are Samsung. Uh, yeah, this is seventy euros, so not not very expensive. The the glass. The glass, and they work only with the Samsung. Yeah, but there's like fifty euro, forty euro ones that work with any phone, and the software is Android and iPhone. And Oculus that's doing that. Yeah, yeah powered yeah, by Oculus. Je les ai vus à la Fnac. Ils les filent avec le le téléphone, euh, les lunettes. Quoi? C'est vrai, ok. 70 euros, ça coûte. C'est ouf. C'est pas les. En fait, c'est pas les Oculus Rift d'origine. Ah, il a fait la photo. How nice. Ah, oh, that's really nice. Ah, il y a une super photo. Okay, uh, can you send it to yeah, me? Of yeah, of uh, course. I'm going just to conclude. Thank you very much for for this interview, for answering the questions, and uh, and see you soon. Thank you. Uh, let me just conclude in French. Merci Audrey Tang d'avoir répondu à nos questions. On retrouvera sur l'atelier des médias la version originale et la version longue traduite de cet entretien, ainsi que des liens, des informations complémentaires et peut-être les, les nombreux dessins que vous avez réalisés pendant notre entretien. À bientôt. Thank you. Super. Thank you very much. Well, Maybe you can, if you, if some mm -hmm. of the, the the drawings, the notes, you yeah, can sure, share. Sure, sure, sure. So yeah, that of course.